All right, welcome to the Rewire podcast. Today, I have Sarah Rose Francis with me. Sarah, so thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, thank you. Stoked to have this conversation. Yeah, us. Like I've got like a whole bunch of people here with me, being here with me. But uh, thank you for being here with me. And so Sarah is a creative coach for intuitive entrepreneurs and leaders. And uh, I can't wait to dig into this more. Your specialty is using the power of play, mindfulness practice, uh, and flow state cultivation for, for leaders and entrepreneurs. So we will dig into all of that. Flow state is something I think a lot of people hear about and are very curious about and probably have experienced in their life, but creating that intentionally, especially in the workplace, is not something mm. uh, a lot of people are practicing or doing. So, But before we get into that, so as I mentioned, Sarah, well, you'd like to usually start by a little bit about your background, Sarah. You mentioned, uh, and I, I read that as a marketing consultant, you know, you're working with people on helping them with their inner world uh, a little bit more in terms of finding alignment and things like that. That's not something that a typical marketing consultant leads with. So I'm curious about your story a little bit. Like, what was it for you that got you on your inner journey? Or was it something in your life? Or has this been something you've been doing, like, intuitively since you were a child? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think doing it intuitively as a kid is a big yes. But I did have a section of my adolescence where I felt really disconnected from that whole process. And then it was kind of a there and back again journey. Uh, so for me, it really started with bouncing around a lot in my career and in my mostly education. And so around like high school, I was really interested in spirituality as a coping mechanism for anxiety and panic attacks that I was experiencing without knowing why in particular. Um, I was told by therapists and counselors that this was just gonna be something I would have to deal with for the rest of my life. And there was nothing I could really do about it. It was just, I would just have to learn to deal with the panic attacks. It was just my lot in life. And I didn't like that answer. <laughs> so I went looking for other ways to approach it or other lenses even to look at the world through that I wasn't hearing from the people around me or my school environment. So started on that path just through reading Eckhart Tolle and Ram Das and a bunch of spiritual teachers. I remember reading The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle in about 10th grade and feeling like, oh, I get this. I totally get it. This makes total sense, except <laughs> my brain got it, but I didn't really feel the difference. And But something in me was opened or cracked open a little bit by this potential reality shift or this potential way of experiencing the world. And so that was like a seed that was planted and just kind of marinated for a few years until the end of my uh, university studies, when I was thrust back into existential mode by feeling like, what the hell am I gonna do with my life? I'm graduating, I don't know what I want, I don't really know who I am. And I picked up the book again. And this time when I read it, there was a culmination of experiences that I'd had across those years 
where when I read it for the second time, I was like, oh my God, I've felt this before. Like the way he talks about experiencing presence and the almost dissolution of the ego, even for a moment of clarity and like peace. And I was like, oh, I felt that, which I didn't have the first time I read it. I had just been like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> but the second time, the second reading, it was this feeling of recognition of, oh, that's what that was in those moments of meditation or those moments in nature when I felt this openness and this peace that went beyond what my mind could really comprehend. And so in that moment, it felt like everything clicked. And I spent a week on my university campus walking around being like, oh, my God, life is amazing. Like, <laughs> and I remember looking around at people sitting on this park bench and being like, in my head, I was like, do you know, do you realize how amazing life is? This is incredible. Like, how are we not realizing this? But the moment I tried to explain it to most people, they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like... <laughs> what even what even do you mean you've had this realization like I don't know and so it was something that I learned to mostly take in for myself and just go on my own journey but I didn't really have people around me that if I said these things out loud they were like yep I felt that I get it and so it was a personal practice for a while and that's what led me into um, doing a post-grad in marketing and writing because that was my original love was writing. And once I'd had these realizations, it felt like I could pursue that without as much fear because I wasn't as caught up in the mental drama of what I should be doing and the timeline and like the right thing. And then after that, I didn't apply to any jobs, which was definitely the scariest Thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> where I graduated and I did not apply anywhere because I wanted to put myself in a pressure cooker of <laughs> needing mm. to figure out what I want to do and I remember talking to my mom who supported me and my dad who supported me throughout all of school and saying I'm probably gonna fail I don't know what the hell I'm doing but I want you to let me and they were like, who is this kid? Like, what do you even <laughs> say? The most anxious child who was constantly trying to have the best grades and follow the right path. And then I go to them and I say, I'm going to start my own business, I think. And I don't know what I'm doing, but just let me fail really hard. <laughs> and they were like, okay, which thank God they did because uh, that was really helpful for me to start doing freelance marketing consulting and that's where what you mentioned came in. I was working with mostly women who were starting their own businesses and they wanted to learn about marketing, except we didn't really talk much about marketing on our calls because they couldn't get to the marketing if they were procrastinating and perfectionist and self-doubting and so like in imposter syndrome. And so we started talking more about that and my interest and studies in mental health and behavior change and psychology kicked in and my spiritual studies kicked in and that's where this all came out <laughs> amazing wow well thanks for sharing that and that's um it's interesting well first of all it, it's nice to when you i, I record read eckhart tolle years ago and then reread it 
years later mm. and it, it was a different book but i think every book is like that really not everybody yeah. has the opportunity though just like eckhart just to bump their head and then be fully enlightened one day but <laughs> yeah but it seems like your journey i mean you said that you really gained that connection to that pure awareness to that pure pure presence through meditation and nature um mm. you know not everybody seems to have like a seems like a smooth path to that sort of awakening as that you know sometimes it's something catastrophic but in your case were you meditating consistently and really like diving into that practice and, and entrenching in nature to to sort of get to, to evolve that spiritual side more or was it something else yeah when i say meditation i don't really mean it uh in the most conventional term i think um i've rarely actually had times in my life where i've been meditating in terms of sitting down for 15 to 30 minutes, closing my eyes, listening to some gong music or anything like that. And just being in silence. Um, obviously I've done that in some form, but it's not really like I've had a meditation practice in that kind of conventional disciplined way, actually. So when I say meditation, I'm meaning more in a sensory nature, the okay. way that I kind of move through my day, I like to be focused on sensation and redirecting attention to sensation as much as possible. Mm. And so for me, it's like walking downstairs and putting my hand on the banister and feeling it or feeling my feet touching the ground or feeling my breath as I'm walking or feeling the wind on my face. And like, it's more of a sensory experience that I would redirect my attention to over and over and over again. Okay. Even if I was in the midst of activity. And so yeah. that for me was a coping mechanism I developed from high school just naturally as a way to redirect attention away from anxiety and panic attacks and like big emotions that were happening in my body, which at first I thought was avoidance, but through just personal gnosis realized it was helping me confront the panic attacks from a different lens or a different perspective in my own system. So when I say meditation, it's mostly that. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's really mindfulness. And and that's interesting, because a lot of people actually have to have to sit and protect time to be able to feel into things a little bit more. And um, the fact that you're able to do that moment by moment, through all your activities, you know, continue to bring that attention back into the way pulling all that energy away from the overthinking and whatever's triggering yeah. the, uh, the anxiety and panic. So that's, that's beautiful. And, and so you could accumulate many hours of practice just by yeah. being aware and doing that throughout. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It was a muscle for sure. It wasn't yeah. easy for many years. Obviously it was getting drawn back again and again to the mind as my default mode. Uh, but it's like building a muscle for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, so a, I had a good reason to want to keep practicing because the anxiety was not my friend. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. And when I, so when I say, nothing catastrophic, but I mean, something very painful and, and uncomfortable. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's amazing. I, I uh, and really, when I, when I work with people, I spend a lot of time, you know, studying and practicing mindfulness, like formally through the mindfulness center, um, they, they kind of take a left brain approach about it, but ultimately, you know, the real meditation is how we live our lives day by day, moment by moment. And so you just kind of skipped past some of that uh, other part and just kind of got right into the practice of, of being yeah. <laughs> you know, moment by moment. So, okay. So 
fast forward to present day now, and and you're working with companies in that regard. Um, we mentioned play, mindfulness, and flow, and and those are all amazing things. So when you walk into a company, and I mean, not every company has a leadership team that's really thinking about emotional intelligence and these things for their leadership. Some are still really based on results and numbers and things like that, but a lot more companies are moving in this direction. And I think this is the direction where we all need to move, including companies. Now, how do you typically approach it? Like if you're, if you have a leadership team and and Sarah, here we go. um, You know, where do you usually start with that, uh, with those practices in mind? Yeah, absolutely. I think what really helps is that I started out working with founders and with um, mostly intuitive entrepreneurs. So people who already have some kind of background or practice. Um, I work with a lot of people in the health and wellness field, breathwork practitioners and facilitators. Um, Yeah, a lot of people who have some kind of practice where their mind is already open to that world. Uh, But recently, I've been also working with interior design companies and um, other kind of teams that are on the edge of that world, but not as fully immersed and have as much background. And so that's why I love to start with um, the things that are already happening in their team, in their day-to-day, in their workflows, because the best practice is the physical, practical things that are coming up in their everyday lives. We don't start with the esoteric, philosophical pieces. Instead, it's what's coming up in your projects, what's coming up in your workflows, what's coming up in your marketing, because oftentimes we look there for solutions. We think if I could just figure out my funnels, if I could just figure out how to scale properly, if I had the right information, then it would all work. It would all make sense. And yet hidden underneath all of those very mundane sounding strategic left-brained issues or challenges is a lot of the inner work is a lot of how you are approaching it or the way you feel as you're doing it. And so I approach it from that lens of what's coming up that's accessible to you, but then we work through it and unpack it until we get to the root that is actually in their power and an inner process that can completely change the external. Right. And so you typically would start then with the, in this case, like the entrepreneur, the leader, whoever is, you know, sort of there to kind of create that culture and then cascade throughout the team. Would that be fair? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we were chatting a little bit before and, I work with a lot of people around stress and beyond stress is where things like flow states, you know, arise and creativity and wisdom and all these wonderful things. Once we were actually are able to sort of let go and let things flow, how would you describe flow state? And, you know, in terms of maybe you could give an example too, of how um, flow state would work within an organization and in terms Mm. of getting, getting results. Yeah. The way I look at it as flow state is being in motion. And so what that means when I say being, I mean, with the capital B, like being as a state of awareness and mindfulness that you would achieve, quote unquote, achieve during meditation or during like anything that relaxes you actually, which is why nature is a great catalyst, why 
there's a lot of talk of flow state in sports because it's so engaged with the body. Um, And so what's interesting is that these boundaries and separation that we often create between there's my meditation practice and then there's my work, there's my spirituality and then there's my career, there's time to relax and there's time to work and hustle and whatever it is. Those don't actually need to exist in the way that we usually think of them. And so for me, flow state is the dissolution of those boundaries where you still have obviously aspects of your life that have some kind of separation. You're in devotion to your work. You're in devotion to your partner, your relationships and time where you're not responsible for anything and don't have to be a person. You can just be walking in the woods, just relaxing. But when you're in work mode and you're working with a team or you are on your own project, projects working at home flow state to me is being able to bring a sense of beingness into the doing so that you don't have to feel like you turn off your body awareness you turn off your peace in order to turn on your productivity and your goal orientation and your results if that makes sense (laughs) yeah no no totally makes sense and I guess um, one of the tools you mentioned is play as well. So is that something then you incorporate and, and how would you do now? I know you do <laughs> retreats as well. I'm not sure if it's an, if from a corporate perspective, you know, when I do retreats, um, you know, which I, which is really one of the things I love to do the most is just to get people together when you're physically together, you can create like this container, but sometimes that's yeah. not like, you know, their real world where, you know, they're not in their office and or wherever they are. So how do you bring play into that? And I guess, is that one of the ways that you help sort of foster that flow state? (laughs) Yeah. So I love the play conversation because to me, that's such an accessible way to bring in an element of flow state and start to dissolve those boundaries because play and creativity are so closely linked. And whether you are a sales professional or a founder who is like wearing a lot of hats, or whatever kind of way you channel creativity, being able to bring in a sense of play is just a great bridge. And so that is how I love to uh, bring it in to retreats and to workshops, um, a sense of how we can use play as the segue from being to doing that carries through that sense of presence and just inner engagement and embodiment. And so mm. I love to use play practices that <laughs> accidentally take people over the threshold of being into doing, maybe without them even realizing it. And I recently hosted this uh, in-person workshop here in Toronto uh, for mostly people in the tech space. And it was a gathering of women who were all um, either had decades of tech sales experience or now ran their own companies. And it was so interesting to sit down with them and say, okay, write, write down your goals, just write down what's your focus right now. What's your goals and see them go into left brain mode of like, okay, here's what I need to do. Here's what I need to get done. Here's what's happening. And they looked a little tense and a little stressed about it. And then we did this exercise where I rolled out this giant palette on the floor (laughs) with this giant piece of paper 
And I tossed a bunch of markers on the floor and I said, okay, I want you to go and I want you to mess up this piece of paper. Like just mess it up so bad. Just doodle on it and do not take the marker off of the paper until this song ends. And they just kind of looked at me they're like, okay. And they just started picking up the pens and they were coloring over each other's and they were laughing and they were just, some people were just scribbling because they didn't know what to do, but then they ended up making something. And then by the end of it, the energy in the room was completely different. And so I said, okay, now look at what you wrote down. I want you to flip over the paper or turn it upside down or rip it in half or something and write down what you think your focus is now or how you feel about that focus now. And what they wrote down was completely different, even if it was with the same goal in mind. And so it's this way of transforming something that is not just what they're doing, but how they're doing it in their work. That makes the biggest difference. And play is an amazing catalyst for that. Yeah, no, I love that. It's I, I, I'm almost picturing what happens too. everyone's a little self-conscious or a little slow to start. And then at some point the barrier is kind of down and, and people go. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting when I, when I talk to companies, about this thing. And, and depending on the company, you know, sometimes I'm uh, talking to companies that are very, as I mentioned, very just process oriented and very traditional, uh, conservative, not necessarily open to talking about flow states and, uh, and as I've been bending the box and things like that. <laughs> but usually I can talk to them, you know, I can bring some science into it as well, enough science to sort of get people to buy into it. Have you had a, a challenge, you know, because everything you're describing, I agree with 100% and I, and I just love all of that. And I think that, you know, these are these are just human being type uh, processes that we've just got so far yeah. removed from, you know, nature, play, breath, uh, presence, all those things. But have you run into a situation sometimes where people are really, really have trouble letting go of that? construct of the left brain and and the process and you know and if you do like what would you usually do to help somebody kind of overcome that to let go yeah absolutely well I have uh, definitely encountered it I am very blessed to work with a lot of people who are very right-brained and so uh, with my clients oftentimes there's already that uh, kindredness or that open doorway where they're like all right right, I'm into it let's go Um, But for people that I've recently started uh, spending more time with, especially in the tech sphere and things that are very process oriented, um, I've noticed that it takes bringing them out of the work kind of mind space, which in that workshop is a great example, going from um, writing down their goals and thinking about their quotas or like whatever else that might be coming up into being on their hands and knees on the floor doodling with a bunch of other people there's a humanness that comes back in that I like to bring it back to because it doesn't matter how left or right brained you are at some point you were a little kid that play was natural to you and I think even just going into these environments with that perspective kind of cracks the shell a little bit because it's almost this line in the sand of like I don't care what you do for a living I don't care how left-brained you are 
we're going to play because I know you have it in you. <laughs> I know you used to do this. And for me, I guess bringing that own embodiment of playfulness, I refuse to put that limit on them. And in that way, that kind of loosens them up in some level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as soon as people start moving their bodies, some type of experiential practice, eventually mm -hmm. uh, they will let go. And so that's uh, that's cool. So in your own practice, I mean, this is just pure Sarah time now uh, outside of business and all the things. What is it that you like to do to continue to foster this uh, this presence and uh, mindfulness and all the things? Yeah, I mentioned before we started recording the seasonal living mm -hmm. piece. And uh, that is, for me, what sets a really great rhythm of engaging with mindfulness and flow in my everyday life, where by engaging with uh, the seasons, meaning um, being out in nature, no matter what temperature it is, <laughs> even if it's the middle of winter, and having some kind of relationship with uh, my environment, really slows time down which for me is the make or break of being able to approach my work and my business in a state of flow is when I can feel a sense of timelessness because you'll hear when people talk about flow state that it feels like they're out of time as in like time doesn't really exist in that zone that they're in they don't think about how much time is passing and oftentimes it can mean that they get down what feels like hours of work in like 10 minutes of real time when they blink and look at the clock. <laughs> and to me, that sense of timelessness comes with stepping back from the circumstantial focus of our world where it's like, okay, what quarter are we in? Where are we at with our goals? Like, what do we have to do this week and next week? And what do I have to get done? And we're constantly living in this sense of time that kind of fragments our rhythm and our sense mm. of reality, the same way people can feel like, oh, like this year went so fast or this quarter went so fast. Like where did all the time go? I have no idea. And for me, seasonal living, being engaged with my environment by what I'm cooking and the crafts that I'm doing and like the, nature time that I'm spending is like an anchoring point alongside the micro focus of the sensory practice of uh, just walking around. And <laughs> it feels like my focus is more on the seat beneath me than it is of what's going on kind of in my head. And that's actually mm. what makes it easier to speak to you. For example, like I can feel the carpet under my feet right now and yet I'm still talking. I'm still making coherent sentences. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to be all of my attention in my head in order to be in a state of channeling or transmission or creation. And yeah, so on a macro level, seasonal living absolutely keeps me in that rhythm of timelessness where I can like smell the pine of the winter wreath I just made <laughs> for my house. Right. I can feel like I'm focused on the root vegetables that I'm putting in my cooking and I'm planted in the moment that nature is also occupying without anticipating what comes next or without looking back on what's happened. 
And on the micro level, that sensory focus of even just listening to the silence in the room or feeling like the desk under my fingertips just like brings it back over and over again. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I love that. And um, it was just so interesting as, as you were talking about, you know, the, the chair or the, the carpet and speaking it, you know, brought me back into my body as well. And I was kind of playing along with you and uh, yeah, mm. it just, it just feels so good to be in that space rather than up here spinning, yeah. wondering what to say next and uh, all those things. Do you find that your practice is getting deeper over time is it is there is there layers to this for you or mm. do you feel like you've re reached a certain point and this is kind of where you're at yeah no that's such a good question because to me it feels like it's constantly deepening and evolving as and I don't think that'll ever stop in the human experience I think there's always it feels that I mean <laughs> I don't know I'm 26 years old so I got time to figure that out I guess but yeah it feels like on the human layer, there's always a deepening that can happen. There's always more to be learned and integrated. And yet on a deeper layer uh, of what I like to call my core self, or you could call your soul or your awareness or whatever you want to call it, there's a sense of arrival that feels like there's nothing to learn or nowhere to get to. It's already a sense of, like wholeness and completeness and holding those layers at the same time is incredibly relaxing because it means I don't need to be in this personal development loop of, I need to get better at spirituality. <laughs> I don't yes. just need to get better at like my career or everything external. Your brain is so tricky that it can even say, Oh, you need to meditate better. You need to be more mindful. You need to get somewhere with your spirituality. And I've been there. I've done that. It's yeah. also a loop. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's really helped me though, because people say, oh, like if you feel like you've already arrived, then how do you have the motivation to do anything? And I love to hold those layers at the same time and say like on the human layer, there's so much to learn. There's so much to integrate. I get triggered by so many things in my relationship relationships and my work like it's it's still going <laughs> it's always still going but I can come back to this sense of wholeness and arrival and dip back into that anytime and there's a sense of peace in that constant evolution but also constant steady undercurrent and more robust place to source my identity from as I play in the human world <laughs> yeah Oh, that's so interesting. And yeah, this is, uh, it's a uh, peeling the onion. It's so many layers and uh, yeah. this lifetime <laughs> and the next. So it's a, uh, it's an incredible journey to be a part of for anybody listening. If you could just share maybe what would be Sarah's one tip on become feeling that, that wholesomeness or that wholeness that you refer to just a little bit more presence moment by moment. If you could just share like one tip for people, what would that be? Hmm. For me, there's a sense of the depth that you can bring to any experience. And that's what I would give as a pointer is not waiting for a perfect moment of meditation or for your life to be not busy enough or 
for no challenging circumstances to be there to feel whole or to feel arrived or to feel complete or even achievements or goals. But instead of looking for a breadth of time to get there, creating a sense of depth now. And so for me, there's this sense of, okay, I can live on the horizontal horizontal plane of when I get better at meditation or when I get to this point in my career, or when I make this much money or whatever it might be. And then that sense of wholeness or achievement or arrival comes in. And then that's that human layer, right? We're always going to be wanting more or looking to evolve more and that's okay. That's normal. But that doesn't stop the vertical dimension of life. That doesn't uh, need, you don't need to hold out for that when you can bring a sense of, okay, instead of going long <laughs> in my perspective and my goal orientation and my desire to be complete, can I go deep? Yeah. So right now, what does it mean to bring depth to this moment? Am I even like, can I feel myself being here? Like, hello, body. Hi. Okay. Haven't seen you all day. Haven't felt you all day. <laughs> like there's a depth there, right? Yeah. When you go yeah. from I'm focused on this and answering this email and doing all these things to, oh, hand massage. Okay. I'm here. Hello. Maybe there's like a bit right. of like, am I even sitting in a way that's comfortable? Right. I, yeah. There's a depth, even taking a deeper breath and sending it down to your belly or I know people say breath and a lot of people go like, oh my God, of course, just breathe. Yeah, yeah, okay. But even sending breath to one area of tension in your body. So maybe that means you breathe more into your chest, but you expand that. Maybe you breathe into like your shoulders and just like drop them away from your ears. And if all of that doesn't sound interesting enough <laughs> and the deadlines and the things that are important feel just so enticing that you don't have time for that then can you bring in a moment of play every day at where you don't really need to be a person who's on a deadline anymore. You can just be like a creature who's bear crawling across your living room, <laughs> or yeah. you can be someone who's like howling in the woods or <laughs> something that feels silly. And the adult part of your brain says, we don't do this anymore. We don't have time for this. We don't do this. But when you do, then there's a sense of freedom and depth that comes in. So that would be my little pointers. <laughs> yeah, those are so good. I love the um yeah, the 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 vertical depth of being versus the horizontal race of doing, I guess is the is the thing, right? And and going deep with every moment. And if you can't get there, like you said, find something fun and playful to do. Uh, that's beautiful. Um Sarah, how can people learn more about you, connect with you, work with you? Yeah. So uh, I started my business through Instagram and did that all through the pandemic and everything. So that's usually still my place that I gravitate to, to share and create and talk and things like that. So um, my Instagram is at Sarah Rose Frank with a C and I'm sure you can put that in the show notes or something yeah. <laughs> so that the spelling's yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, I also recently started playing with LinkedIn for the first time. Very exciting. <laughs> and so I'm at Sarah Francis on LinkedIn. And uh, those are the major places where I create. I also uh, send out an email newsletter once in a while that 
has more in-depth practices, uh, but those are where I check my messages and share kind of glimpses of what's coming up or how I'm uh, doing offerings right now. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time and just acknowledge you as well for, uh, for sharing just the way you speak uh, so authentically and so wise uh, for 26 years old. So I just think it's, uh, it's incredible and, and so much uh, good things to happen still. So thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. <laughs> Great.